As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. After more than 12 years of ownership at Anfield, Liverpool's owners Fenway Sports Group have put the club up for sale. Having delivered Champions League, Premier League and even Club World Cup success, what is behind FSG's decision to explore an exit? I'm Adam Leventhal and this is The Athletic Football Podcast. They are open to the sale of the whole club, and that's the difference here. Congratulations. Some other clubs have seeding. Forbes value Liverpool at 4.45 billion US dollars. Constantly feels like there's been this ongoing battle between fans and, and the owners to sort of ensure that the club's local identity remains. In the next few weeks, there'll be some proper masters of the universe linked with this club. Well, joining us to delve into the detail, we have our football correspondent David Ornstein and senior football news writer Matt Slater alongside me. Gents, uh, it's good to see you, good to hear from you. Uh, David, let's start off and and set the scene, really. What is the state of play then? Because it was news that, that broke and I think surprised a fair few people, wasn't it? Yeah, it's caused quite an impact and it's no surprise because when a story of this nature comes up in any circumstance to do with the Premier League, a big club, um, it's significant. But Liverpool in their own right are enormous and FSG have overseen such a period of success that many people uh, would imagine it would go on for a lot longer and especially with the Premier League being in the situation and the status that it is now with potential for further growth. However, there have always been rumblings around Liverpool and FSG because they're an investment vehicle and they've shown their willingness to part with minority stakes, parts of the company previously. 2021, 11% went to Redbird Capital. That allowed FSG to invest in the Pittsburgh Penguins NHL team, for example. Uh, But this is different, Adam. It was starting to come to me that FSG were putting Liverpool up for sale over the weekend and you make your checks and you try to corroborate it and make absolutely sure of it and then on Monday we managed to get there that Fenway Sports Group have put Liverpool up for sale and that they are open to the sale of the whole club 
And that's the difference here. Because when our story came out, there was quite a lot of reaction on social media suggesting this is just what we always knew, that a part of it may go. And a part of it may go. It may not turn out to be a full sale. But they have invited offers for a full sale. They have sent out a full sales deck or presentation, documentation, inviting interested parties to come forward. And look, this may be exploratory. I think this is the start of an evaluation process. FSG have explored situations in the past that haven't come to anything. And this might not come to anything. A deal might not be done. But equally, there is a good chance of it now. And they, as they said in their statement that they released to us, in the right terms and conditions and circumstances, they are open to considering new shareholders. They didn't say additional shareholders. And so it's crystal clear what's happening here in terms of their willingness to listen. Um, I've spoken to people around the situation who think that this is not imminent, but in the next couple of years, they may get there. Jurgen Klopp is aware of it. And that means this situation is incredibly interesting and important. Matt, from your point of view, what do you think has, has triggered this decision for them? Does Is this an opportune moment for them to almost state publicly their, their intentions and almost to say, look, we are we are up for grabs if, if you're up for it? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think David's framed it really nicely there that on the one hand, this is not a surprise because we're talking about private equity, we're talking about sports entrepreneurs, we're talking about guys who had no previous connection with Liverpool or English football, making a very strategic investment, a very good investment in what was a distressed asset back in 2010 and uh, doing really, really well, running the club well, uh, enjoying massive capital appreciation. And, you know, this is what these guys do. This is how they made their fortunes. So look, no shock. However, this is different. This is absolutely different. I agree with David, this idea that, what's the story here? No, there's a massive story here. They've appointed Goldman Sachs and Morgan Bloody Stanley, and they've put out a uh, sales deck. That's not what has been happening for the last few years. Where they have had offers, this is different. To get to your question, why? Well, look, lots of theories out there. David's touched upon one. You, I think you you talked about it in at the beginning there where you were talking about, you know, is this the end of a cycle? Um, you know, you sort of look... That's uh, how much they nearly achieved last year and how much they did achieve last year. You know, sort of a few kicks of the ball away from uh, winning at all, weren't they? How does it look now? Well, you know, you look at the table now, take a snapshot. It's a bit like kind of looking at your pension every day. Don't do not do it. But if you did do it, you know, it's not looking so good, is it? All right. And then you have, you start to sort of think about, okay, the cost of a rebuild. It's not a rebuild though, is it? Because we're not talking about, you know, a complete disaster there. But you start to think about, okay, if we're going to get back to that level, that Champions League, Premier League winning title winning level is there a rebuild you look at the cost of the stadium okay they've already done one stand they're doing another gets the sixty-one thousand. okay what more can they do with match day revenues there there's a limit as to how much they can charge so you start to think about that we know there's been grumblings and we've heard it from Klopp he's not completely plugged into the ownership he's not like their mouthpiece but he has talked about you know how hard it is to compete with the Man Cities and here they are coming on the rails Newcastle United's of this world you know is that is that there we know that John W. Henry, you know, he likes Liverpool. He loves the Boston Red Sox. We know that other people in the ownership group would really, really like to complete the state, the, the set in the States. They want an NBA team. They'd like an NFL team. 
case. Maybe that's where the focus is, perhaps. So I think there's 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 various things here. End of cycle, cost of the next step, ambitions back at home. Also, these syndicates are quite hard to keep together. I mean, you know, it's not quite herding cats, but it's a bit like kind of a stag do. You've got to sort of make sure everyone's kind of moving along at the same speed, same time. And that's not easy. So I actually have heard some grumblings over the last few months about how the group feels about everything. Are we still completely aligned? And there have been movements within the group that often don't make the news. You know, people sort of diluting their stake a little bit, this little limited partnership arrangement they've got that, you know, just doesn't make the news. It's, 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 it's not public. It's not it's none of our business. So I think there's a few things there. However, and this is why this might not happen. It might not happen quickly. And it might not be the whole club. Look how far they've come in 12 years from 300 million. So let's say 3 billion-ish, you know, choose your number. Massive appreciation. Premier League is still going up, right? Despite all predictions from the doomsayers, it got through COVID pretty bloody well. Liverpool are clearly in that class of 10, 12, 15 European clubs that are almost like those super NFL franchises. They are relegation proof. They are almost recession proof. They are these incredibly attractive global assets. You've got the heritage, you've got the brand, you've got the fan base that's sort of 50, 60 years old around the world. So many advantages. The last international rights deals for the Premier League were like amazing. Yeah, they've tapped out here. But football is the world's most popular sport. It's not even the number one sport in the three biggest markets, China, USA, India. These are the things I hear all the time. And whilst we might be heading into a recession, they're still making billionaires and billionaires still like elite sports franchises. So look, this is really interesting. This is definitely different. There are reasons why they're doing it now. Natural, private equity, sports investment reasons why they're doing it now. But equally, there are reasons why I can see them holding on. Obviously, we're covering this in depth on The Athletic and subsequent to David's breaking story, we broke it down. Andy Jones did an explainer about some of the key points of it. And I just wanted to pick you up there, Matt, on on your valuation. You know, we're talking about whether it's going to be 3 billion, 4 billion, 5 billion or whatever. But it was interesting. Conrad Wiercek, who's head of sport analysis at Global Data, said that given the sale of Chelsea in the summer of 2022 reached $4.15 billion, $2.5 billion at the time of the sale, the sale of Liverpool could reach in excess of $5 billion. Before I come to David about who potentially might be um, sniffing around that figure and happy to pay that figure, do you think that they exceed Chelsea in terms of their value? Yeah, I'm going to upset people here. Yes, I, I, I do for a few reasons. I'm a neutral. I have no dog in this fight. I think I think Liverpool are a bigger club. Uh, I think Chelsea are one of those clubs that they've done well recently. Right? It was sold in a rush as well. That has to be yeah. taken so, into consideration. So, you know, growing up, Chelsea were well, they were a Div Two team at the time, but they were they were they were sort of a lower Div, Div One team. Obviously, Matthew Harden got them on the right road. Ken Bates might have played some role there. But anyway, Roman Vranovic came along and just changed their universe, changed their dimensions. And they are now a global power and they absolutely belong in that bracket. I just don't think they are as high up the ladder as Liverpool. I think Liverpool and Manchester United are still still a step ahead of the other British teams. And, and um, you know, Liverpool, I think just Liverpool is just bigger. And then, of course... They're sort of debt-free. Their stadium is in a sort of slightly better situations than, than than Chelsea. Although I would caveat that by saying that when Chelsea, some people might view the Chelsea thing as, as an opportunity, and also you can charge a lot more for tickets. So there's 
you know, match day upside in Chelsea that perhaps isn't in, in Liverpool. But Chelsea, Liverpool have a good stadium. It's going to be 61,000 pretty soon. Yeah, I just think they're just a little bit bigger. So that's look. Well done, Conrad, for having a, for having a crack at it first. Forbes do it. Other people do it. There's all sorts of formulas, secret sources for working these things out. Multiples of revenue and which bits you put in, which bits you take out. Social media followings, all sorts. Right. I just think Liverpool are a bit bigger. So you just go on the most. You just benchmark. That is the obvious benchmark. It went for two and a half billion. Forget the one point seven five future funding. That's just confuses thing. It was two and a half billion for the shares. There was an element that I wouldn't say it was stressed. That's it. But it, there was a deadline for that. It was sold in unusual circumstances. But but in some ways, that created incredible competitive tension in the auction. And you had a really lively auction, which you might get onto, as to the type of people who wanted Chelsea. Liverpool's is going to be different. There is no compet- There's no deadline. It's a bit like kind of, you know, I, I don't really want to sell my house, but I'm going to put it on the market just to see, what, see, see what's out there. So it's, it's going to have a different vibe, this one. I just think, yes. They're worth more. How much more? Who knows? Yeah, we shall see. And David, from your point of view, who are the the early contenders to submit an interest in in buying Liverpool? And obviously, and we saw with with Chelsea, didn't we, that there were some people that were in for them, even at other football clubs, even at, <laughs> at Crystal Palace, that that wanted to jump ship and and go into Chelsea. So, are we almost going to see other people coming out of the the woodwork once again that we might have already been familiar with? Yeah, a couple of things on this first that I'll just pick up from what Matt was saying. Um, I think uh, front page of the Financial Times, which uh, gratefully credits our story, they mention that Forbes value Liverpool at 4.45 billion US dollars, which puts them, I think, according to the FT, third or fourth um, in terms of the most valuable football clubs in the world. And another element of this, which we haven't touched upon yet, but it brings us on nicely to potential buyers. You know, on the same day that this story broke, Manchester City announced their financial figures um, posting record commercial revenues that blows pretty much everybody out of the water. I don't think today is the right time to go into that. Um, However, Liverpool's owners will be looking at that. And despite what Matt rightly says about the growth of the Premier League and a lot of Americans and other investors rubbing their hands at the weak pound, Um, the saturation of their own sporting markets back home and the opportunities that are arising over here, their potential to increase matchday income, the television rights, the matchday experience, uh, and, and plenty more besides, makes these really attractive propositions. But who has... 4.45 billion US dollars stuffed down the side of a sofa. How deep are your pockets? Who's prepared to go this far, if anybody? And we hear immediately Bahrain, Dubai. If you look on social media at the moment, these reports are coming out from uh, the Arab world, uh, from various other sources that are indicating some interest from those sorts of nations. Is Liverpool going to become the latest pretty much nation-state-owned football club. Um, then there's the USA, of course, where they seem to be coming over at a rate of knots. Bournemouth, most recently. Uh, Chelsea's other contenders were All-American. Um, and that suggests there is great appetite for this. But whether that actually happens is another matter because Liverpool, FSG, I should say, have been very clear internally from what I've heard in that if they're going to sell, it needs to be to what they consider the right people. 
who exhibit the right political and sporting plans, intentions, values, and continue tr- the trajectory that they have uh, been on. And when Matt outlines that £300 million in 2010 to billions now, you understand why they might consider doing this. They may not feel they have the ability to keep up in this arms race. And that's certainly something that we have got the feeling of from our conversations around this story. Are they prepared to go for another five or 10 years and try and keep pace with these guys? Jurgen Klopp has talked publicly about that and he believes it's not possible. Michael Edwards was sporting director. He decided to step aside after a decade and they listened to him in that hierarchy, still from what I've heard. And whether it was more personal in terms of his decision to end this cycle or whether he felt others at the club should be doing the same, I don't know precisely. But I suspect he wasn't alone in that feeling. And that perhaps explains a bit of this as well. Uh, But yeah, on potential destinations, I'll pass over to Matt. And before you do jump in there, Matt, you know, David did mention Jurgen Klopp and and the, the quote was that there is no ceiling for the likes of uh, Manchester City. There is no ceiling for the likes of, of Newcastle now. Is it going to be an, another US play thing that does have an exit strategy or is this going to be the next nation state club? Because it's almost as if Jurgen Klopp and we know that there's been some sort of legal talks around what he has said and Manchester City being disappointed about what he said uh, for various reasons. Has Jurgen Klopp almost backed back Liverpool into a corner where it would almost be impossible for them to take that nation-state route? Mm. No, I don't think so. Look, but 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 equally, I, I don't think it's likely. But look, forget that Jurgen Klopp stuff. That's just, I'm sorry, that was manufactured nonsense really the bloke was asked the question he answered it honestly you know he's not a sort of spokesperson at the united nations you know he's not a diplomat you know he said something that that, that he felt that was an obvious point to make and it got a bit twisted and yeah but who cares it's gone right normal liverpool man city nonsense i'm tired of all that right back to the real stuff where who's going to buy this club okay let's just think about it all right they're, they're owned by americans we've already discussed the fact that dollars very strong against the pound, strong against every currency. Um, they've appointed two American banks. They bought the club from Americans. They used the American bank, a different American bank, to buy the club back then. Uh, they're, like, they're limited part of the syndicate's full of Americans. Yeah, there's quite a lot of Americans here. A bit of a theme. You know, America loves the Premier League now, hosting the next World Cup. Soccer's booming. Ted Lasso. We've heard, we, NBC. Just don't need to tell David that. They, there's, a, there's a lot. That's the way the wind's blowing. China's China's out. Russia's out. Okay, sovereign wealth funds. Well, it's not going to be Norway, is it? Saudi have got their team. Abu Dhabi's got their team. Does Dubai want a team? Does, does you know want you know another Emirate want to go up against that? Maybe Dubai had a look. Two thousand eight, I think it was. I think there's been some some more subtle inquiries uh, more recently too. I just I just don't I just don't really see it. I just think it's a really cultural weird cultural fit. Okay, Klopp's made his point, but I think it's deeper than that. I think it's the fan base. I think think about Liverpool, a left-leaning city, and how strong trade unions are there. I think it would just be hard. I think it'd be hard. I really do. And we're not talking, I'm not saying for one minute that, you know, Newcastle's not a left-leaning city or Manchester. I just think they're different clubs. I think a lot of of the whole Newcastle story was that they felt very unloved. They were very fed up with their previous ownership. And this was 
a sort of life-changing moment if you you know if you sort of think about it in football terms for them and after a decade or more of of neglect you know so that it was just an easier it was easier for them liverpool haven't got liverpool fans can't say that they can't say they've been neglected you know so i just i just i just think it'd be hard i just i don't i just don't think it's going to happen however nothing shocks me in football and if there's another Saudi firm that isn't somehow connected to the government, which I think would be quite hard to uh, anyway. But who knows? Or if there's another Emirate or Bahrain, another another you know, Gulf state that hasn't got a football club or Kuwait. Yeah, look, fine. But equally, I could say that make I could say all this about an Asian billion, another another Asian billion, another Asian group, not from China. How about India? India's supposed to, India's the coming one of the coming powers in 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 the, in the global economy. How about how about an African-owned club? There was an African billionaire in for Chelsea. Okay, he didn't get very far, but I'm led to believe he's incredibly rich. I'm not saying he's going to immediately transfer and have a go at Liverpool. But I think what's more likely, and again, it's that sort of how do you benchmark the price, just have a look at the Chelsea story. It came down to Steve Pagliuca versus the who owns the Boston Celtics, runs, runs a very similar FSG-style syndicate there. Uh, has knows all the same people came from Bain, massive private equity firm. Uh, the Ricketts family, Chicago Cubs. They had another partner who's a big Illinois money man. Uh, you had Woody Johnson, who didn't quite make the shortlist. Those New York Jets wants a football team. Harris Blitzer, of course, Crystal Palace. You know they are just a sports empire. You know, so so I just think that's more likely, and I think there were some other names that, that that people were wondering. People did wonder if they'd have a go. Dave Rubin is another name who often comes up. He owns this massive firm called Fanatics. I don't think he is ready to buy a Premier League football team. And there are some others. There are some other really big names. You, you in the next few weeks, there'll be some proper masters of the universe linked with this club. We shall see. Hi, I'm Adam Crafton, and I'm the host of The Athletic's new documentary series, Away From Home. We've been following Ukrainian football team Shakhtar Donetsk through the Champions League group stage. They've had to play their home games in Poland following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The first bomb, you never forget. In this series, we're going to take you inside Shakhtar. <laughs> traveling with them across Europe as they set out on their Champions League odyssey. It's not only about football now, it's about to show that we are fighting. I'll be speaking to those in Ukraine itself, hearing stories about how the war has affected them. My wife's father, he died. They killed him here. Subscribe now to Away From Home to follow the whole story. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We cannot act like them. It's not possible. Not possible. There are three clubs in world football who can do what they want, financially. This is the Athletic Football Podcast with me, Adam Leventhal, joined by David Ornstein and Matt Slater. Now, before we discuss the, the on-pitch impact any potential sale by FSG could have on Liverpool, let's hear from our Merseyside football writer, Simon Hughes, on the American ownership at Anfield over the past 12 years. 
FSG have had a strange relationship with Liverpool supporters, particularly locally. I think with time, the FSG reign will be viewed historically as a successful one when they inherited the club from Tom Hicks and George Gillette. Uh, Liverpool were towards the bottom of the Premier League and in a big financial crisis. Within a couple of years, they were able to find a solution to the Anfield Stadium problem, which which had been knocking around for for quite a few years, uh, decades even. But I think one of the, the good things that the FSG have done is is decide to stay at Anfield and redevelop it. And you can see what a fantastic stadium it is now. They've obviously done a lot of work with the infrastructure. Um, that includes a, a new training ground as well. But I'd say the biggest thing that they, they, they've done is is hire a world-class manager who um, has delivered nearly every major trophy there is to win. Despite all of that, you know, the, the, the FSG reign hasn't been without its problems and I'd say there's been a cultural disconnection between the owners and, and the fans. Uh, they've made a lot of mistakes along the way, um, which has at times eroded trust and, and undermined some of the progress that has been made. So it, it constantly feels like there's been this ongoing battle between fans and, and the owners to sort of ensure that the, the, the club's local identity remains. You can point to various incidents when you know they, they tried to raise ticket prices and there was a stadium walkout you know there was the the trademarking issue the European Super League where fans weren't consulted all these sort of things haven't helped over the years so I think when people look at the rain as, as a whole they, they will say well they, they've been responsible and successful owners at Liverpool but with FSG that there's always a but <laughs> it'll be fascinating to see how Jurgen Klopp reacts to this development over the last 48 hours obviously as a journalist we've been making phone calls and the word is that you know the Jurgen Klopp has been aware of of FSG's intention to either find a, a new partner as a shareholder or potentially complete a, a, a total sale of the club to a large extent that that situation has always been a place since Jurgen Klopp came to Liverpool but I think it's it's quite clear now, given that they've changed banks who they're working with and and various other factors, that the FSG are much more open to a, a sale uh, than they have been in the past and have received some interesting propositions that they're taking seriously. Certainly one, anyway. Yeah, as for Jürgen Klopp, I think his future at Liverpool, uh, or certainly his, his present and his past, has been very linked to the presence of, of Mike Gordon, who has been FSG's president and sort of the guy who, who runs Liverpool day to day from afar from his home in Boston. His relationship with Mike Gordon is very close and you know the pair of developer relationship which I've been told is, will will outlast the working relationship at Liverpool. So it's it's highly unusual that you get this this sort of closeness I think between two people in football. And I think if Mike Gordon was to leave Liverpool, it would be fascinating to see how Jurgen Klopp would react to that. I mean, he seems to me to be an open-minded sort of guy who values his working relationships, and but is obviously willing to explore new working relationships as well. You know, in terms of 
I think there was a perception with Jürgen Klopp when he joined Liverpool that he'd bring a lot of the Dortmund players with him. He didn't. He, you know, working with new people all the time, investing in his staff, big change over his staff at the time. So he is the sort of football manager who's used to working with different people, although he does value sort of the closeness that he has in relationships with the people that he works with. He's obviously just signed a new long-term contract to Liverpool, so he is still contracted to Liverpool. But I suppose the problems on the pitch that they've had and, and what seems to me to be certainly a restructuring job of the team and a rebuilding job of the team, whether all this change will prompt them to think differently about the way ahead uh, remains to be seen. So obviously some interesting points made by Simon there, David. But I guess a, a lot of Liverpool fans will be thinking, OK, look, it's, it's not going to plan in the league. Yes, we had a, a good result against Tottenham. We're sort of heading in the right direction, but there's doubts over how things are, are potentially going to go in the in the Champions League. We're in, we're in a little bit of a grey area at the moment, footballing-wise. What's going to happen in January now that we've got this news on, on FSG? What can you tell them? about what plans there are maybe already in place for January because we've got the World Cup taking up a big portion of time as well and it's going to be on us very, very soon, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think without meaning to sound boring, the answer is quite boring because it is business as usual, I'm sure. And that's indicative of the fact that I don't expect anything significant to happen on the future ownership of Liverpool quickly. And therefore, they need to continue with whatever plans they have. Julian Ward being at the centre of that now as sporting director who took over from Michael Edwards permanently within recent months because it was a gradual integration process that saw him go from Edwards' deputy to successor. And Mike Gordon, on behalf of the ownership, president of FSG and a director at Liverpool, um, he's integral to this operation Let's see if he's more involved in the sales side than the day-to-day running. We'll have to do some more work on that. Billy Hogan, as chief executive, has mainly been across the business day-to-day. Will he take on more sporting responsibility? Again, let's see. But I think it will be critical for FSG to show Jurgen Klopp and the squad and the staff and the fans that... There's continuity here. They have run, as Matt points out in the big piece we've done on The Athletic, a self-sustaining model pretty much that has frustrated fans at times because they've largely only spent what they have earned. They've been really canny sellers and pretty impressive buyers, um, but they have not gone out and splashed in the way that some of their rivals have. And that has led to a lot of questions about their ability to compete on the pitch like the supporters want to and expect to in what's been an incredibly successful era. I think they've won all of the major trophies at various times. As Matt pointed out, they nearly won them all at the same time last season. And so they will be looking to recruit, I'm sure. The signing of Artumelo on deadline day in the summer to strengthen Klopp's midfield has not gone to plan. He's been injured, lacking fitness initially, and then undergone surgery that will see him sidelined for an extended period of time. Jurgen Klopp wanted a midfielder. He wanted Aurelien Tchouameni from Monaco, who went to Real Madrid. That would have been a blow to reinforce a midfield that perhaps needed it ever since the departure of Gini Wijnaldum. And, you know, players are getting older, uh, injuries are being picked up, and that would 
you suspect, be an area that he would like to bolster in. Jude Bellingham is the name that is mentioned most often at the moment. You see multiple reports every day. One minute, Real Madrid are leading the way. The next minute, Liverpool. The day after, somebody else, Chelsea, Manchester City, you name it. I think the reality in this is that Jude Bellingham is an old head on young shoulders. He's said to be very mature, clear in his thinking, very wise and knowledgeable about where he wants to go and how he wants to do it. He's not going to make a decision before the World Cup by the looks of it, and understandably so. Dortmund will want to keep hold of him for longer than they have with some of the players that have departed in recent times. Does he want to? He may want to stay there. Let's see on that front, because being no doubt that there is going to be a scramble for his services, there are going to be some of the biggest clubs in the world making sizable offers for him. That we can be sure of. It's whether Borussia Dortmund are going to relent. We've seen figures like 100, 150 million. He's going to be at the forefront of the game by the looks of it for club and country for many years to come and he's a generational talent. Will he want to take any of those opportunities? If he does, which of them will he want to take? James Pearce has spoken on this podcast about Liverpool not having a chance, in his view, if they're not in the Champions League next season. I think that's probably quite accurate for a player of Jude Bellingham's level and standing, especially when he will have Champions League clubs after him. But you never know how the season is going to pan out. The Champions League question is one that we haven't mentioned around the ownership, in fact. Liverpool need to be playing Champions League football and the way this season is going, they face a real battle to qualify. In terms of the wider recruitment plans, they've got a very advanced operation, as I said, led by Ward with the likes of Dave Fallows, Barry Hunter, Ian Graham and more. And so I'm sure they will have some potential recruits lined up in mind, being worked upon, whether it's on the you know, more senior side, junior side also, because we've seen the likes of Harvey Elliott, Fabio Carvalho, Calvin Ramsey. Um, So they're pretty well set up. And I don't suspect the emergence of this news will cause that to derail on the short term. But of course, the finances available will be a, a bigger decision for the power brokers at Liverpool. That's not to suggest they weren't already. And so that's why I come back to the phrase of business as usual. And it's one that I wanted to just throw to, to Matt there, because if you look at it, and the phrase that you used earlier on, Matt, was that almost as if FSG are tapping out or cashing out to, to use a sort of a betting phrase. Do you feel that this would be quite a straightforward takeover for whoever is coming in, almost picking up a baton rather than having to push a huge load of cash into the football club due to what David has said there, that that it is rolling and it is sort of business as usual. Yeah, I, I, yes. I mean, this is not, they're not, it's the phrase that you often hear, it's not a distressed asset, right? You're not, it's not a turnaround job. It's not a rescue. Liverpool have made great strides, particularly since Klopp arrived. I think that was, what, 2015-ish. So if you think about, you know, the Fenway Sports Group era, almost in sort of two bits, you know, kind of pre-Klopp, post-Klopp, they, they found their guy. And since they found their guy, things have gone pretty well. You know, you've had the improvements at the stadium, the training ground, commercially. You know, I think it took them a while to sort of find their feet, to kind of realise what they had in Liverpool. I think, you know, it's quite, I've always found that quite interesting, that these sort of kind of American guys who are very, very good commercially. I, did, I, I do think it took them some time to sort of just realise the power of football, the power of the power of that, that Liverpool brand. But anyway, they've got it now and 
their social media stuff's great. You know, they've got some good partners. And I think there's there's more upside there. So um, it's not a, it's not a rescue. There's fantastic foundations there. Yeah, you know, sport is cyclical. You don't have to tell John W. Henry that. You know, he runs the Boston Red Sox. You know, when he took them over, they hadn't won it for bloody ever. They've won, they've won it a few times. The last time they won it, I think, it was 2018. Uh, they've had a bit of rebuild post there. They had to let some players go to the salary cap and you know not every decision they've got right i think they got a wild card berth last year i don't think they did so well this season i'm not a baseball guy but you know they, they get it they do get it and that every now and then you have to reinvest in the team and maybe they'd be thinking mm, let someone else do that i don't know i don't i don't look at that squad and think it's a complete disaster yes they could do with bellingham who couldn't so i no i i think this is a very very attractive club to buy i really do and the the equation the the question the guys at Fenway Sports Group will be asking themselves is, look how far we've come in this period of time. Do we sell the lot and move on to something else? Because we've taken, we've, we've tarted the house up as much as it can be, right? It's already the best house on the street. Maybe we should just buy a house on a different street, you know, i.e. NFL, NBA, that sort of thing. I, I understand they quite like the idea of an NBA franchise in Las Vegas. They might enlarge the NFL at one point. It's been stuck at around 32 teams for nearly 22, uh, 20 odd years. It could go to uh, it could go to 40. That seems like a bit of a lip. But anyway, FSG will be thinking about that. Or do they go, let's see what's out there. I, I wouldn't surprise me at all if they've had a good offer already. And what this actual process is, hmm, that was interesting. Hello, banks. Can you go see if you can match that or find us something something better? Because this one's just walked through the door. Maybe they sell a little bit. Uh, you know, they've already sold. 11% to Redbird Capital. Well, that was of the entire group, FSG, not just Liverpool. So look, I think they've got they've got some decisions to make, but they're, they're, they're nice decisions. If you're a sports entrepreneur, these are good problems. So not a rescue job. Liverpool doing fine. Yeah, going to require a bit more injection, a bit, bit more money if they're going to really challenge City. Because City look pretty well set, don't they? But Liverpool aren't you know, miles off. John W. Henry and those guys, they're all Wall Street guys. They will know that you don't overread, you know, confirmation bias and all that recency bias, not to get, not to obsess about what's happened over the last two months. And I do think they would have been conscious of this possibility in recent times, but yet they still renewed the contract of Mohamed Salah at great expense, a signing of Darwin Nunes in a deal worth up to 100 million euros. Previous to that, there was Luis Diaz, a really good investment they lost Sadio Mane. They're said to be in the mix for Jude Bellingham, as we said. And therefore, Matt's right. They're, they're in decent shape. I don't suspect they will not be in decent shape in the times ahead. And underlining all of this is we don't know the outcome. FSG have been in this position before with various interests and might come to a full sale, may come to a partial sale, or it may come to nothing at all. And... If it comes to nothing at all and they continue to lead this project forward, then they're going to need a plan for that as well. And reading reports around the media since our story, it seems that they do have that plan for all eventualities. And you would imagine that it's a plan that will keep Liverpool relatively successful. Well, whichever way it does end up, I'm sure David and Matt will be all over it. Thank you very much, gents. I've enjoyed that. Pleasure. You're welcome. Much more on this story, of course, on The Athletic. And uh, if you want to follow it, simply subscribe uh, for just £1 a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. That is theathletic.com forward slash football pod. We will be back with much more very soon. Take care. 
The Athletic.